Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Fall fresh on my sisters and brothers here listening. Fall fresh on those who may listen to this podcast. Spirit of the living God, move in our hearts as we listen to your word and to your spirit speaking to each one of us. Different words, different encouragements, different confrontations, different new lives. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Amen. Who got the power? Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm going to be reading uh, scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, in our class that we are having at 9.30, which is the Bible 101, uh, the class already is, is understanding how the book was put together, how consensus, the com- amazing concept of consensus in the first uh, 400 years of the church, how we all came together. And they also discovered that Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus, that John was one of the disciples of Jesus, but they were kind of surprised to find out that Luke and Mark weren't disciples of Jesus, per se, of the twelve. But they are growing, and actually the class is moving so, so nicely uh, that I think we may even get started uh, in 102 next week, the second part of next week, in terms of Bible study, and because um, we got the mechanics, we got the history, we got the formation. Matthew writes around the, uh, some scholars believe around the year 50 after Jesus, 54, 60, something like that. Uh, actually, it's believed that Matthew writes his gospel out of an earlier document called the Didac... What is it, Reverend? The Didache. The Didache, which was a, 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 a collection of saints from Jesus, but they were very ethical. Do this and don't do that. And guess who wrote the do this and don't do that? The Jewish community, don't do this, don't do that. <laughs> they still do it. <laughs> see? see, so, so the, the, Matthew has sources in which he's writing from. But Matthew also was an eyewitness to the story that we're going to read. Matthew was one of the wimps. I, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. He was one of the wimps. Actually, he's very quiet in this whole story that he's part of. But let's listen to it because one of the other disciples did not stay behind or quiet or in the scenes or did not suffer from silence. He wanted to do something else. And listen to the two and four, the word of the Lord as I read out of Matthew 14. Immediately after this, something must have happened before. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending the people home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were having trouble far away from land, and a strong wind had risen, And they were fighting 
heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Jesus comes towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and they, and in their fear, they cried out, "It's a ghost!" But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. The word of the Lord. I'm cutting it there because I later, you know, okay, there's an ending there, but yeah, later. Okay. Amazing little story that many of you are so familiarized, and I'm so sorry that you're so familiarized with this story. Because if you were in the first century hearing this story, you would probably be at the edge of your seat. Because no human being since then has ever walked on water except myself when it's frozen, like all of us in the puddles. Not in Georgia, though. <laughs> it doesn't happen here. <laughs> oh, I walked on water. The seminary where I went to, Trinity, uh, had a pond in the middle of, of, the, of, of the yards, and it had a sign. It, it literally had a sign that said, seminarians, please do not try to walk on water. But I did in February. It was solid. That was nor northern Illinois, so you could imagine. I have been sharing with you, and I began last week a series, a new series for the month of October, uh, comparing fearlessness and faithfulness. We've been talking about the comparison of what a life of fearfulness or a life of faithfulness, or perhaps from the positive perspective, a, a fearless life full of faith, a fearless life full of faith. And we have to discover better ways than living and being captive by our fears. You see, fears tend to paralyze us. Fears lie to us. We've been asking, I've been asking you since last week to identify one fear. And I'm talking about the fear of, of, of snakes or, or spiders. No, no, no. One fear that we may have experienced in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual faith. And how do we identify that fear? When we use words like, I can't. Or when we use excuses like, I've never have, or I don't know how. Well, you know what? Abraham had that issue. Abraham had never. Abraham didn't know how. He didn't have a GPS. And God is telling him, leave your family and everybody else and go do whatever I'm going to tell you later on. Not even now. So fear can paralyze people. Fear lies to us. Fear actually takes away the joy and takes away your blessing. Fear can enslave you to such a point that you have a miserable Christian life. How many of you experience a miserable Christian life? Okay. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of liars right here, <laughs> including me. But the reality is that as we begin to discover how fear 
hides itself, how fear masks itself in our lives, we begin to discover the fearlessness and we begin to discover a certain freedom, a certain door that liberates us from the one thing that paralyzes us to the one amazing blessing from God. We tend to believe our fears instead of believing God. Think about that. How many churches are believing their fears and not believing God? How many young people are believing their fears and not believing God? Because they have never heard of a God that can actually change things and themselves and lives. So a fearless life we spoke about last week. And I love, uh, and that's the theme, by the way. This is the theme of the month, the verse for the month. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. My God, those three are super superlatives. Does that exist? A super superlative, Madam English teacher? I just made him up. No. No. But Paul used, look at this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And last week we concluded that many times that all of us have an amazing hope for our lives. Many of us have great expectations for our lives. Even that transfers for the life of the church. Many of us have a great expectation, a great hope for what will happen in this congregation. And guess what? He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above what we could hope for our lives in our community. So the challenge last week is to shift from thinking from our hopes for our lives to God's hope for our lives. I think that works better. From our hope for our church to God's hope for our community of faith. And we had that amazing picture. Linda, Linda has become a great artist in, in selecting uh, 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 scenes, symbolic scenes. And, and, and let me tell you one thing. You guys may not have realized how much you have changed. Yes, June, you have changed. Yes, dear. Before we used to come to church and our bulletins were full of English script, big words, sceneries, Bible, crosses, Jesus' doors, keys, symbols of Christianity, fish, nets. Remember? And now there's a fish jumping over. The one that you all liked the most was when I preached about Freedom from anxiety. And remember the frog leaning on the... You see? See how you have changed? Now you're looking for Scripture message in non-religious symbols. Like the rest of the world. So now God can speak to you through many ways. Look at this. You broke away from the scheme of only religious stuff. God can speak to us through a fish jumping from it. Hope for God's best. Amazing. Today, I want to talk about precisely if, if God gives us a, a, and demonstrates a fearless life, how do we live that fearless living? How does fearless living look like? In our text uh, uh, that we read, the disciples had just seen something. It begins with immediately after this. The immediately after was that Jesus and the disciples had just fed, according to the gospel, 5,000 people. I don't think, actually, it doesn't say 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. Women, you didn't count. But there were women there. So let's assume 
for mathematical easiness, 1.5 women toward each man. And let's give that couple a baby or two. How many people did Jesus fed with uh, two loaves and three fish? 5,000 men. How about the women and the children? How many do you think? I'm going to guess around 15,000 people. Think about it. Conservatively, 15,000 people. Give or take, a couple dozen. Baker's dozen. <laughs> you see, 15,000 people, and there was leftovers, like last night. Oh, I ain't cooking today. I'm eating Puerto Rican. I ain't cooking tomorrow. I'm eating Puerto Rican. <laughs> you see, there were leftovers. Abundance, exceedingly more abundantly than what the disciples originally thought. Great lesson for them. And then they go into a boat. Jesus deals with a with the crowd. We don't know how he told them to go home. He goes to pray, and they're on the boat. Now, many of these people were sailors. They know how to handle boats. They know how to read the ocean. They know how to read the seas. They know how to read the winds and all that stuff that combines them and helps them move effectively through the ocean. In this case, the Lake of Galilee. And suddenly a storm comes about. They know how to handle this. This is not the story where they think they're going to die and Jesus is sleeping at the bow of the, sh of the boat. This is the story where Jesus is not even with them. So they were worried, a little concerned. And suddenly to make things worse. I mean, not only are they anxious in the middle of the ocean or the lake at 3 o'clock in the morning, but the anxiety increases, the fear increases, the concern increases when they see a human form walking on the water approaching them. And then the human form, which I'm okay if I see a human form or I think I'm seeing a human form in the ocean. I can see, because I could imagine how the water and the wind, you know, may, may do the, the, the spray, spray, you know, and you could see things. I could see that. But the problem was not that they saw it. The problem was that the ghost spoke to them. Now he's speaking to us. And the words that the ghost says is, don't be afraid. And the next word right after, don't be afraid, he says, take courage. So if I tell you right now, don't be afraid, what are you going to respond? Take courage. So let's practice this. Don't be afraid. Own it. So to add to their anxiety, now they see the ghost not only walking, but speaking to them. But Peter, always, he comes out and he says, Lord, if it's really you. Now, when people are trying to figure out the will of God, that's a good question to ask. Lord, if it is really you. Tell me to come to you. Walking on water. I mean, Lord, if it's really you, can we wait till we get to the shore and then I can get off the dock? That's me. See, I mean, there's a route. I know, you know, you could deal with the storm, but I still can handle the boat. I can see the light's way out there. But, you know, can we wait till we get to the dock? Matthew was quiet. 
The other ones were extremely quiet. The only one that got up and made an exchange with a so-called Lord, he didn't know. That's why he asked, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and walk on water. In the middle of many storms in our life, how many times can we ask this question? Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and work with my relationships. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and work with my finances. Lord, if it's really you in the middle of the storm where everything seems dark, where everything seems not in control and chaotic and no order in the chaos. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and help me with my anxieties. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and help me with my thinking process. You know, the amazing thing was that when the ghost appeared, he said some amazing words. He said, I am here. In the book of John, we have a, a collection of the great I am's, the great ego me. But there is one in Matthew, actually there's two in Matthew. This is one of them where Jesus uses in the Greek or, or in the Aramaic, we don't really know what language Jesus spoke, but probably Aramaic, he, he would use the word, the name that the God gave to Moses in the burning bush, I am. The other section is two chapters earlier when uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees are questioning Jesus' pre-existence in time and space because Jesus is something like, before Abraham was, I am. Bad grammar, but that's what he was trying to say. <laughs> but I like it. You see? Before, before Abraham was, I am. And here he is, I am with you in the middle of the storm. I am with you. And Peter dared to ask, Lord, if it's really you, then help me. Help me. And that's bringing it home, Kate. That's bringing it home. Lord, if it's really you, help me to overcome my fears. Help me to become courageous. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and walk on whatever waters there are right here to deal with. You see, fearless living is possible when we open our relationship to God and love one another as Christ has loved us. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and walk on the waters and teach me how to improve my relationships. Fearless living is possible when we reject negative thinking and excuses for fear and embrace. Fix our thoughts, like Paul says, on what is true, on what is honorable, on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise instead of looking at the waters. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and help me change my ways of thinking so that my ways of living can also change. Help me to be generous, oh God. And look at the promise because actually fearless living, listen to this, fearless living has to do with just believing the promises of God. Fearless living it's about believing that it is He who is telling you, come. What? 
Step out of the boat. Come. Ooh. Give and you will receive, Jesus said. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Luke 6.38. Fearless living is learning to be recklessly generous towards God because of God's amazing and fabulous grace. Fearless living is living behind your excuses for not to walk on water. Fearless living is living behind and abandoning the old patterns of self-defeated thinking because Jesus is calling you to walk on waters. Living fearlessly is responding to God in generosity and to give freely to God, believing God is with you, believing God has called you, believing God's promises are for you, and believing and receiving and embracing the promises of God. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on water, to walk on waters. I like to see that verse that way. And let's put our name there. I'm going to begin because I'm the pastor. I'm going to begin with the light of hope. So, then light of hope called unto him. I think you guys did that some six years ago. You weren't light of hope. Then Calvary called to him. Then Woodland called to him. Then Southminster called to him. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you and walk on the waters of light of hope. Now, I want you to repeat that, but place your name, like if you were Peter. So, Lottie would read it and say, then Lottie called to him. Okay? Can we do that? One, two, three. Then Edwin called to him, Lord, if it is you, Tell me to come to you and walk on the waters. And Jesus said, come, let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the motions, for the movements, that you love us in such a way that you don't leave us alone to stagnate, to get putrefied, but you move us from glory to glory, from greater faith to greater faith, from greater understanding to greater living fearlessly and full of faith in your name. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to walk in terrible waters, scary waters, dark waters in the middle of the night, and yet you are present and your power is there, and your love is there, and you call us to come. May we dare. May we dare to take another steps in the water through Christ who calls us to walk. Amen.